0: Well, 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 welcome to Between Sundays special edition bonus pod. Hey, uh yeah, we are doing a special episode. That's Marin right. and Barry are here. Good yeah, day, guys. Yeah. Good day. And uh we're bringing in some special guests today. Kareen Gunther, uh first guest, first friend of the pod. Welcome.
1: You Thank you. I think it's good good day. Good day. You- good day.
2: Good day. Good day. Good day. Karine, you were the yeah. You were the very first guest on the trial, the Alpha Pod. Yeah, very first time. We thought it was a practice, and
0: then we went on spring break, (laughs) and there it was, live for everybody to hear. So now you're back. Welcome back. Well,
1: thank you. And you've brought (laughs) a special
0: guest with you today, uh, Celestin Musakura, uh, who is involved with the partner ministry of Grace Church. And why don't you tell us a little bit about you? And welcome, Celestin. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Well, yay! Well. that's kind of our
0: that's kind of our welcome that's to everybody so
3: yeah. i hope you feel you very you welcome now. No, no. no we're positive on this yeah. show oh, okay.
2: all positive Just family in. friendly positive this is amy
0: christie if you're familiar friend of the pod this is her welcome
2: it's really oh. tepid
1: <laughs> <laughs> no we deserve a yeah yay. yeah of course. yeah definitely a yay uh so we do have celestine here and um I think it's kind of funny that I'm sitting here looking at Barry and thinking back to your 30th birthday. Oh, how young. That we spent in Rwanda together. That's right. You were uh, still doing World Next Door Mm -hmm. and you had embedded Mm -hmm. in the Alarm Ministry, African Leadership and Reconciliation Ministries. And we were going, uh, a few of us went over to do a vision trip to consider partnering Mm -hmm. with Alarm because we were looking for a partner who dealt specifically in the area of hatred. And so um, from that first visit, we uh, I think you went on to South Sudan maybe? I was,
2: yes, I was in South Sudan for a month after that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and we kind of toured uh, Rwanda alongside Celestin and got to see firsthand uh, his ministry and his staff. And we met his mother. We got, uh, oh. got to go to her house and she served us um, roasted peanuts and I think Coca-Cola. Um, yeah. But it was this beautiful <laughs> opportunity not only to get to see this reconciliation ministry uh, at work, but to follow along with the founder and president and hear his story. And um, and you're going to get to hear some of that today. So let me just say, I'm really excited for our, our congregation and people to get to hear our friends of the pod to get to yeah. hear from. It is, a, it is a high
3: honor to have you here. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Celestin,
0: can you, can you kind of, uh, for anybody who may have missed the sermon this past weekend and didn't get to, didn't get to see your video interview, um, can you talk a little bit about your story and what Alarm is and how it came to be and kind of your role within it?
4: Uh, thank you, Taylor. My name is Celestin Musekura. I'm uh, from Rwanda originally. I live uh, half of my time in Dallas, Texas. And uh, most of my time in East and Central Africa, the ministry was uh, originated. Unfortunately, in the uh, genocide uh, before the genocide, I had been involved in the pastoral ministries in uh, in Rwanda. Then I went to seminary in Nairobi, and so in 1994, while I was still the last theo- sorry, while I was at uh, Nairobi Evangelical Graduate School of, of Theology, um, the genocide happened. And uh, it was, uh, of course, it was a terrible situation because uh, within three months, uh, about one million people were massacred. And uh, because of the uh, tribalism, really um, leaders, um, government officials, politicians, and uh, self-serving leaders used the tribes to divide the people and uh, hatred in the lives of the people. And so uh, four years of civil war, had uh, made people to hate their their neighbors. And uh, when the plan that was cutting the president of Rwanda and the president of Burundi, Bovo Hutus, was uh, shot down, then that event became a um, catalyst for the genocide. So between April 6 and uh, July, end of July 1994, uh, just one million people were killed. Mm. Wow. Uh, that was uh, really the catalytic moment for uh, me and others to begin to worry what happened, uh, why such killing in a country that was said to be over 90% Christians. Yeah. Uh, that's when we actually realized that, no, I think we have failed. Uh, we didn't have Christians. We didn't have disciples of Christ. We had just converts who were not disciples. Mm. Uh, whose identity in their tribe was more important than their tribal identity. So that's really what uh, prompted us to begin to think about how do we uh, develop a generation of Christians? How do we disciple the people so that uh, people will not accept any speech from any politician or tribal leader who is telling them to do what is against the biblical view, biblical principles, And how do we disciple the people beyond nominal tribalism? And uh, the answer was, unless you train the leaders and unless the pastors understand what discipleship is, they can't disciple the people. But also the other question was, in a crisis in a tribally divided society uh, where everybody's uh, angry and bitter and hateful and vengeful, uh, how does the church, how does the church become an instrument of healing, forgiveness, and reconciliation. And so we realized that we were going to work on uh, uh, two major fronts, developing servant leaders who really care about the people they lead, who care about the well-being of the people, mm. who disciple the people. But also, we are going to embark on the process of reconciliation through forgiveness and repentance and uh, working on the church become an instrument of healing mm. and healing. Uh, reconciliation so that's really how we started and um by god's grace um we saw god begin to change the lives of the people pastors beginning to confess their own failure and uh, begin to make make commitment to discipleship that's how we got mm-hmm. started and and today um it's actually this year is 25 years of wow. uh, oh. our ministry and we are having um, in this april Fourth in Dallas, we are celebrating 25th um, anniversary of Ministry of Healing, Forgiveness, and Reconciliation. Wow.
0: So if I'm doing the math, that ministry started
4: right after the genocide then, right? It was actually in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, because we began just uh, when the graves were still fresh, when the bodies were not buried. So I began actually going to the refugee camp in the July. On the other uh, side of the border yeah, in, in Congo, Congo yeah. Mm-hmm. So I started going in the refugee camps. Um, I started actually going to to try to find my relatives who had fled, and it was during that time, in fact, in the refugee camp, when I met pastors who were saying, "I know somebody who killed my wife and mm-hmm. children. Can I go kill them? Yeah, and then forgive them after." Mm-hmm. And so it was that the, the encounter with the revenge and what was, you know, justice. Yeah, and the pastors have lost their calling; have lost their. Uh, you know, the understanding of what forgiveness is, that was the time when I was flying back to Nairobi when actually had the Lord saying, have you seen my people? Mm Have you seen my community? Because I had gone to Congo to find my people, my family, Mm -hmm. but I didn't care too much about the suffering. So really the event that God used was my encounter with the pastors in the camp in the Congo that began. So in three months, Um, actually in two months. So in September, then I found myself going back to the Congo to meet with pastors to begin, actually the beginning was, let's cry. Mm. Let's cry. Let's Mm -hmm. weep. Let's lament.
3: Yes. Mm. And
4: because without lamenting, without crying, people will not heal. Yeah. And so it was like a healing ministry. And then uh, we began to realize that if the pastors are healed, then they become the wounded healers and become the agents of reconciliation.
3: Just to, to back up, For people who aren't as familiar with the Rwandan genocide, if you crunch the numbers, you said a million people were killed over the span of 100 days. Mm -hmm. That's 10,000 people a day, if I'm doing the math. Mm -hmm. This is a a series that we're calling our our Hope Month. I can't Mm -hmm. think of a situation more
4: hopeless
3: than 10,000 people a day in a country that's not very large. No. I mean, just...
4: We were 10... In fact, we are less than ten million then.
1: Hmm. So, so you have Rwanda uh, yeah. is about the size of Central Indiana, right, or
4: Delaware? Oh my God! Can Jesus. you
1: imagine yeah. ten thousand? Imagine people one out of day. ten
2: people dying right. at the hands of their neighbors. Yes. Yeah. And this
0: affected your family, right? This is very. This is a very personal thing for you because your family members were were murdered, right? In, and friends and church friends and
4: right. The, this is yeah, initially the. Um, of course, most of the people were being killed in the genocide uh, were friends and colleagues. And uh, mm. I come from Northwest, um, toward the border of Congo. In the hundred days of genocide, actually nobody was killed in my village. Mm-hmm. People fled together. Both Hutu and Tutsi fled to Congo together. But my family was later murdered in the revenge that followed the genocide. So three okay. years later, uh, in December 1997, um, five members of my family were murdered together oh with goodness. seventy people in my village. Most of them, members of my congregation, I had been a pastor there for uh, over four years, and so uh, those were killed in the revenge that followed the genocide.
0: So you had already been doing this ministry, yes, for a couple years mm-hmm. until it came literally home to yes. you,
4: yeah,
2: wow, and so, suddenly, suddenly, you find yourself as a pastor trying to go through the exact same things that you had been helping other pastors to experience?
4: In fact, that was the, um, I would say that the, the real confrontation with the reality. Um, when I got okay. to the facts, I was uh, at the Dallas theological seminary in Dallas. Uh, the village people were murdered on December 27th, 1997. I did not get the facts until the January 5th, mm. that's oh. a week after. And it was early in the morning, it was like three in the morning. I had the facts in the house ringing and I mm. went to pick the facts. It was a fax from Rwanda. A friend of mine had the fact that uh, your family, seven, seven people in your family, were murdered together with over 70 people. In fact, at that time they didn't know who was murdered mm. because, let alone, I learned that my mom and my niece survived. My mom fainted during the killing she was uh, under the dead bodies between four and five hours. And then my niece who was two years old survived. And Mm. and so, but initially I was told seven members of my family were murdered. Mm. And so that night, that uh, early morning, I began to ask the same question. Who did it? Yeah. Um, Because I wanted to revenge. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, sometimes sometimes people think revenge is just um, uh, actually taking the machetes and go to, no, you uh, you no you are perpetrators. No. Uh, I was thinking about how can I know them so I can avoid them? Mm-hmm. Uh, how can I know them so I can hate them? You know? yeah. How do I, you know, you can revenge without uh, really physically revenging uh, The hate, the animosity, and the knowing who they mm-hmm. are and then uh, try not to love their children, maybe try to pray a bad prayer for them, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even mm-hmm. Christians pray bad prayers for their enemies, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, like the Old Testament. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, it was that early morning when... Uh, In the struggle, in the wrestling, when uh, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, you don't have to know who did it Mm. to forgive them. Mm. Wow. And uh, the Lord said, don't ask where I was. Because I was asking the same questions. Yeah. The pastors uh, in the refugee camp, 1994, July, were asking, you know, where was God when my wife and six children were killed? Is he God just? Is he real? Mm. How can I trust him? so i began i of course i trust god but in my pain i said where was god mm. you know mm. and the god began to tell me no i was mm. there in fact they all said i was there and by the way they finished well because most of them my relatives i had led them to christ by god's grace wow. i was the first one to be uh, a christian my family disowned me because they told mm. the ancestors we killed them for seven years i had no relationship with them mm. let alone i went to bible school and um 1983, went back to my village as a pastor and then I led my mom to Christ. Mm -hmm. And then my young brother, uh, who is still a pastor, I think uh, Corinne, Mm -hmm. uh, but you met him. He's Mm -hmm. over 45 churches and let alone I led my father to Christ. So I really had led them to Christ. And so the Lord reminded me that uh, they are with him and he was there and they finished well. And so I should finish my journey well and then I should not ask who did it but my job is to forgive them. Mm. And they also say, you have been forgiving others. Now is your time to do it. Mm. Mm. So that really was the confrontation with mm-hmm. the reality. And then um, um, let alone, of course, I had to go back and then mm-hmm. find uh, what happened and meet those who were uh, part of the murdering my family and um, uh, begin to forgive them, begin to work with them. And one of them, I uh, trust them to take care of my mom. Uh, for about four years, he took care of my mom uh, until my brother was in a small town uh, then he could take care of my mom. Otherwise, my mom refused to go to, uh, to the city because she grew up in the village. And mm-hmm. so a brother whose relatives were part of the killing of my family took care of my mom. Who's wow.
1: Before you go forward, will you go back and tell the story of, of your name and of being a young boy and, and the significance of the fact that you're leading Alarm based on your upbringing in terms of... Yeah, you <laughs> know what I'm you. talking about?
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, my last name, Musekura means savior. And mm. um, in Rwanda when uh, a child is born, they don't give them the name of their father, just like here, you have the name of your father. Uh, everybody's called, most of the people are called according to the situation in which they are born. Mm. So my mom had no children for nine years, and she was then considered like uh, a cursed woman. Mm. Because they believe some still believe today that if there are no children in their home it is the woman's fault and so but also it's not the fault of the woman the problem is the ancestors closed her womb mm. mm-hmm. and so there's a curse on her and so most of the time my mom could not sit with other women or could not hold babies in the village because they believed if she touched the babies or if she started with the women the curse would affect them. Mm. And for nine years, then my mother was offering the blood of chickens, the blood of goats, worshiping their ancestors, and asking to give her a child. And so, nine years later, I was born. Then she named me Musekura because at that moment, when I was born, she was saved.
2: Mm.
4: So she was no longer a caste woman. And even if I had died a minute after I was born, and thank God I didn't die, I'm, I'm yeah. here. <laughs> uh, even if I had died a minute the fact that she had given birth meant that the curse was taken away so i saved her Mm. i she was accepted in the community; she could now hold babies because we were women so really that's how i grew up and um uh growing up that way um then my mother dedicated me to be a traditional priest and so at the age of five i was offering the blood of chickens and Age of seven, I knew how to slaughter goat, chickens, and and sheep, and take the blood and offer sacrifice on my behalf, mm. and on behalf of my two brothers and my sister, mm. so that the ancestors can give us peace and can take care of us. So that's how we grew up. Um, unfortunately, at the age of eleven, uh, my sister, was two weeks old, died, mm. and I was told she died because I failed to sacrifice on her behalf. Oh. That really brought oh my fear goodness. in my life wow. yeah. because I I begin to ask, who's going to die next? Mm-hmm. How can I perform well so that I protect everyone? But also it opened my eyes that the lady who was coaching me, uh, I realized that she was not well. She was sick. She had a elephantiasis disease and Mm. uh, began to question if she's going to give me life why doesn't she have she doesn't have a life Mm. she was a widow she had lost her sons anyway to cut the long story short i begin to question if what i was doing Mm. was going to protect or give life Mm. three years later after my sister's death i met this white man who was a missionary (laughs) he was from cleveland ohio he was uh, a uh, planning churches he had been uh, kicked out of Congo by the government of Congo in the 60s, the Congo or all the missionaries. So he came to the village. I was 14, I, I, I almost 15, I had never seen a white man. Hmm. Hmm. And so when he came to the village, we thought he was one of the ancestors from the grave or one <laughs> of the animals from the bush. Uh-huh. But he began to talk about Christ who died. He talked about God's love. The love of God, God loved the word he gave his son who died, who shed his blood on the cross, that we, if we accept the sacrifice of Christ, our sins will be forgiven and we would be children of God. We can speak to God. Now, that made sense uh, on one side because uh, half of my life at that age, at 14, 7 of 14 years, I've been shedding life uh, blood every week, hmm. but no hope, no future and so forth. Secondly, we were becoming poorer and poorer every day because imagine slaughtering all the chickens every week. Yeah. And uh, so it was obvious that uh, Jesus, who I thought was the ancestor of this missionary,
2: because (laughs) the
4: picture was a white man. Of
2: course, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he was
4: the ancestor of this white guy. Yeah. And then I say, he's the best one because he's not asking me blood. He gave his own blood. Mm. And so I said, I think I need to follow this one. Mm. And Mm -hmm. so I asked more questions, then the missionary explained more about Christ and said, no, this is not my ancestor. God has no color. God is spirit. Uh, If you accept Jesus, you will be the son of God. You will speak to God. Um, And so so at the age of 17, I gave my life to Christ. That was two years after I met the missionary because I went to high school, Mm -hmm. which he started. And really today, um, even today, what I'm doing is because of what um, uh, Kyle elwin kyle did now when i gave my life to christ at the age of 17 my family learned that i gave my life to christ i was in this boarding school and then they sent a delegate telling me i should not go back home wow they were afraid if i went home they would all die mm. and so now i'm kicked out i have no home to go to no friend to accept me naked and no school fees then god raised up a lady um mary was her name she was At that time, 69 years old, she heard about the skinny, ugly boy who needs help. (laughs) (laughs) So for six years, Mary in, again, Cleveland, Ohio, she was a widow. She didn't have money. Every day she walked alongside the main road, picked up the cardboard and trash can. She recycled them. Every month for six years, she would send 6 or $7 to the skinny, ugly boy to go to school. That's how I finished high school and at the end of high school, that's when God called me to take the gospel to my parents, to my family who uh, needed to know Christ, who need not to worship the ancestors, who need to. So that's how I went in the ministry. And today wow. I'm doing actually the missionary and Mary both died in 1983. Just uh, Kyle died three months before I finished Bible school. Mary died five days after I finished Bible school. And
3: both were from Ohio. Uh,
4: yeah. Yes. Well,
3: oh, I am blown away. <laughs> I'm hearing this story for the first time. And we talk all the time at Grace Church about finding our destinies and moving into broken places. And some older woman from Ohio was able to do that by recycling. Cleveland of all places. Yeah. By recycling and sending you just $6. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness.
4: And so today uh, I actually say, you know, Kyle and away. Mary died in 1983. But really, spiritually, they continue on. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Kyle was working with the wow. pastors, the Baptist Church in Rwanda. Wow. Here by God's grace, uh, I am working with uh, my colleagues, staff of Alarm in eight countries, working training leaders from over twenty-four different denominations.
3: Yeah. And uh, helping to bring healing. Yes,
4: alarm yeah. is to one helping, of the most hopeless
3: yeah. genocides in, in human in history. history. So oh, whether goodness. in Rwanda
4: or in the Congo or Ooh, in Lord. South Sudan or in Sudan. Yeah. So their work continues on. Mary died. Um, just five days after my graduation, but today Alarm helps over 400 widows to feed their children. We are setting free some of the children who are in prison because their mothers cannot uh, defend them. We are helping widows to get their land back. So Mary and Kai still work. Yeah. And their yeah. legacy is still on. So so really that's a, what I'm doing today is a result of what Kai and Mary did. Wow. Yeah. And that's my calling.
2: Yeah. It's an incredible example of God works all things together for the good of those who love him. He brought love such it. good mm. out of such terrible circumstances, out of out of the poverty, out of mm. the the genocide and yet look at what now look at what he is doing.
3: Yeah. I want to be Mary. I mean, Amen. it seems so accessible that any one of us could be that person that brings about such a yeah. great change in one individual's life yeah, which will hope. then bring about such a change in so many others. Yeah, you talked Thousands. about hope.
4: Yes. Um, I was at that point hopeless. I didn't know where to go. Nobody would accept me because they all my relatives believed the same thing. Yeah. And uh, my life ended there. But Mary, um, you know, I would have died a young Christian. Mm. Maybe I would have been been a, a thief or mm. street boy. I, of course, I, for... About the first three years, the uh, 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 first three months of the three years were difficult because the first three months I literally ate from the garbage. Mm. But uh, my life would have gone that way if Mary had not given me hope. Wow. And so that's my commitment is really if I can be like Kyle, I mm-hmm. can uh, go and, and tell someone. And if I can be like Mary and help yeah. uh, an ugly, uh, skinny, ugly boy to, have, to go to school, maybe he will become something. So... Nothing is too small when we invest in the kingdom of God.
3: Amen. Yeah. Amen.
0: So you said you spend half of your time in Dallas. That's kind of where you, is that where you live? I, Do you have a
4: home in Dallas? Um, yeah, I'm homeless, I say. But uh, okay. when I have uh, a shared time in Dallas, I spend about uh, 40% of my time in the U.S. But when I'm in the U.S., I'm in Dallas. But most of the time when I'm in the U.S., I'm visiting different partners like I'm here at the Grace, mm-hmm. uh, a weekend ago, I was uh, in California, mm-hmm. um, a few weeks to come, I'll be uh, in another city. So when I'm in the US, I'm visiting partners and finding new partners to raise uh, support, financial support gotcha. for our staff. I spend the uh, 60% of my time in East and Central Africa. We have about 70 full-time staff in those countries. So I joined them to do training, to encourage them. And so that's how I divided my time. So I have mm-hmm. home mm-hmm. in Dallas. Uh, gotcha. Um, yeah.
0: So in all of your travels and experience, what are you seeing in the church today that both gives you hope, but also kind
4: of worries you? <laughs> um, I will begin with the hope. Um, initially, when uh, most of our partner churches are Bible-believing uh, evangelical in their faith. Uh, and that is hope because mm-hmm. the gospel is being preached. Uh, but what worries me is mm-hmm. that uh, there's no big difference between some of what the churches in the U.S. are doing with what the church in Rwanda was doing. Mm. That is, we are focusing on conversion. We are focusing on making people feel comfortable. Mm. So we are in, even the U.S., uh, we are in a time when there's too much division. Mm-hmm. Too much hatred, too much animosity between, I would say, tribes. You know, the two tribes, the major two tribes in America, Democrats and Republicans. Yeah, And you find Christians in both tribes. Sure, yeah. By the way we did each other, the way we demonize, say, we dehumanize each other, when we listen to the politicians, to the media and so forth, it worries me that even we Christians, we are following those languages, which in Rwanda precipitated the genocide. So that worries me. Secondly, um, the church in America is not, they are, some are in more denial and they are kind of uh, closing their eyes to the reality of uh, really, how do we engage in social justice? Mm. How do we deal with our past, our ugly past? Because mm. burning the head the head in the sand as the you mm-hmm. English speakers we <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You will not, uh, um Resolve the problem. So the church is in denial because the church is saying um, we don't have that problem here. Mm. No, the problem is human. Mm. The problem is is a community. And so the church in America, uh, what worries me is that we are not intentionally engaging in social justice, in uh, racial reconciliation, in uh, talking about uh, uh, international justice. So we not. To, uh, we don't even care about uh, our brothers and sisters who are under persecution, who are suffering, and yet we say they are brothers and sisters because we are self-absorbed, we are inward-looking, we don't care about uh, our neighbors. Mm. And the other problem that I'm seeing, which again I'm seeing in Rwanda, in Congo and South Sudan, is uh, we engage in the language of demonization and dehumanization. And so those are things that worries me. So my prayer again is that the Bible... Believing evangelical gospel-centered church, we realize that uh, the Great Commission includes reconciliation. The Great Commission include uh, justice. Uh, that's what Jesus says. I was naked. I was weak. I was in prison. I was this. You mm-hmm. didn't care about me. And three religions care about the widows and the orphans. Mm-hmm. But we have let the government deal with those needs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rather than with the church taking the the lead in uh, in preaching about wholeness, you know. So those are the things that worries me. But I'm glad uh, many churches now are discussing these issues of racial reconciliation, social justice, and international justice, and so forth. So,
2: how you, would? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Okay, I was going to say, y- you mentioned that we sometimes use the language of dehumanization. Mm-hmm. What What does that look like? I know in in Rwanda, it was saying, "Oh, the they're cockroaches," and it's it. I'm more human than you are. Mm-hmm. What does that look like here? How have you seen that? In,
4: in the US, um, now um, on different levels, uh, mm-hmm. I have, uh, you know, I listened to the news. Mm-hmm. I listen to the reference to what we say when we refer to the Democrats, Republicans, and we use language that are disparaging. We use language that dehumanize the other, the other group, and uh, we make their sins bigger than they are. Mm. And uh, we make statements that uh, uh, seem like people are irredeemable beyond uh, repair. Yeah. And, uh, and then when we deal with the, uh, the black, white, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so we try to negate uh, the full humanity of the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so so there's that uh, subtle, maybe it's not like cockroaches as such mm-hmm. sure. because you have the law that uh, will punish you if you do that, mm-hmm. hate language and so forth. But the subtle, uh, there's undercurrent that really dehumanize without uh, saying it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, the way we treat people says, uh, you, we may dehumanize people by the way we treat them, mm-hmm. by the way we take their words as uh, um you know, they deserve attention, they deserve to, to be heard, they deserve to be listened to. They So you can humanize somebody by ignoring them. And that's maybe what I find here is yeah. That yeah. their pen does not matter. I think
3: we yeah. have nicer yeah. words yeah. than cockroaches, but yes. we're doing yeah. essentially something very similar. Yeah. When we say that, you know, we talk about large groups of people mm-hmm. and we use words like illegals. Yeah we're not ascribing a, a, a humanity to them. We're just yeah. labeling them yeah. and labeling something negative.
4: Yeah. yeah. They become less human. So, mm-hmm. so whatever time we use, not, not giving face to the person, we just group them. And uh, mm. that's the, that's the, yeah. When we group them, become a group. then right. They are no longer human. Yeah. And when we uh, caricature them as uh, uh, thieves and uh, uh, murderers and, uh, Uh, illegal, Uh, we group people. And so uh, there's something that uh, called group pride and collective evil. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we engage in group pride, uh, who we are, we are white, or we are black, we are this, or we are Americans, Mm
3: -hmm.
4: or collective evil. People make us all evil because we are this color, we are evil. Because we have this group, we are evil. So we, even the church Christians, engage in those group pride and collective evil. But yeah. we need to give people faith because, mm-hmm. again, they are redeemable. God cares about them. And we need to also understand their their story. And sometimes we dismiss them without even knowing what they have gone through. And, and so- It's a lot, it's a lot yeah. easier to do that.
3: Right. Well, it's, and I think we do it subconsciously. I, I know that I'm guilty of that. If I have- If I have preconceived notions about an entire group and then I meet one person that I associate with that group, I'm already kind of casting bias upon them, whether I realize I'm doing it or not.
4: Yeah, I think that's where we encourage the church to actually build opportunities where people encounter each other as they are. Mm. Uh, And uh, because until you eat with them, now that's why like Africans, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we hey, like man. to swallow together. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Swallow <laughs> <ship>. That's
4: good. <laughs> Sorry. Here, yeah, you guys like to fellowship, yeah. but no swallowship. I want to swallow <laughs> ship. Yeah. Yes. So when you eat together, oh, there's a proverb in here, Rwanda, my lam- mother tongue says, <laughs> <laughs> the mouth that eats, you don't hear the mouth eating, like... <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> When the same mouth makes cry of pain, <laughs> you will not hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Lord. if you have not shared meals that you are you can hear the, uh, the mouth eating, then if that same mouth is crying, you don't care. There mm. any mm. pain if you have not shared meals when wow. you're in pain, how can I share your pain? Wow. You're on your own. So the church needs to provide an opportunity where people share the, the they eat, they can hear each other eating. I know this doesn't. Translating your mother tongue, but you can see the picture. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because you tell your children not to.
1: Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For us. Well, and we're busy (laughs) yelling. Yeah. And we're busy yelling at each other, as opposed to listening to each other. So when I first started going, and I'm going to confess here, when I first started going to Rwanda. Um, And we always visit the memorial and we take our people there because we want to understand the history of Rwanda from from the beginnings to colonization all the way up. And you put on headsets and you walk through and you and there's a section where you start listening to the the propaganda that's Mm. spewed on the airways. And so when I first went, it felt like their story. Mm -hmm. And so I was entering into my friends and getting to know them, but being part of their story. Then I go back around I'm just going to be honest around presidential election time mm. and let me just say my lord this is our story yeah it is no longer their story this mm-hmm. is our story of humanity yeah. and we can change the names but I'm telling you if you turn on talk radio you turn on the TV depending on who you're listening to it sounds the same yeah and so now we're struck with we we need to learn from our friends and Rwanda mm. and their story, because um, we are no different.
4: Yeah, absolutely. We yeah. are
1: no different. We'll and, say, and, um, yeah.
4: Thank you. Um, sorry for interrupting. No, we'll we say interrupt. in Rwanda, we have the machetes. Mm-hmm. In America, you have the words. Mm-hmm. And you can kill wow. with words or you can kill with a
3: machete. Yes, yes. yes. You mm-hmm. just spoke to us as a staff uh, a couple minutes ago. And a couple months ago. A couple minutes <laughs> ago. And uh, you said something so... Um, obvious, obvious, should be obvious to anyone who calls himself a believer. You said, we are the peacemakers. We are the salt. We are the light. And you said that two times. And each time it was just like, yes, we know that, but why do we forget it so easily? Why do we go on social media and do anything other than make peace? Why do we go stir the pot? We, we think we're entitled to just spout off the rhetoric that we feel is right why are we not being peacemakers? It, you made it sound so simple and mm-hmm. so accessible and yet it's not, it's not what I'm seeing. It, uh, oftentimes it's not what yeah. I'm seeing. I think
4: before you make the text, before you write the tweet, before you write the Facebook, mm-hmm. first, are you writing as an American? Are you writing as a Democrat? Are you writing as a Republican? Are you writing as a white or black, or yellow or red? Or you are writing as a Christian. Yeah, I think if we stop and think now, who is writing this? Is it that black? Is that yellow? Is that red? And uh, is it a, a purple? Because I have never met uh, a white person. Thank
3: you. Because white is a paper. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> if we see this Thank paper you. is white. Thank you. Thank yeah. you.
4: Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe you, are, you know. <laughs> oh, so, but the key is, am I writing as a Christian? So once yeah. you begin to think about, you know, who I am, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. How would Christ, if Cross was having this keyboard? What would he write? What would he write? Yeah. yeah.
2: Okay, so- Can
1: I, Before you go there, I want to follow up on one thing. Um, ta- there is a cost to being a peacemaker that I mm. think we, we want to think the peacemakers are, everybody loves peacemakers. That's not true. Talk no, that's about not true. some of the costs to mm. you as being a peacemaker in the very early years and even now. Mm.
4: Yeah, uh, don't uh, remind me those bad days. I'm sorry, but I I no, it is
1: no. important. We understand
4: the comments. They are not, the they are not uh, over yet, but um, mm-hmm. yes, our first, the Lord called us uh, that we will suffer. Part of our yes. calling is suffering. So yeah. suffering is in the same package where salvation is. So when we see mm-hmm. salvation, part of the package is yes. suffering. Yes. Now, mm-hmm. of course, suffering for th- for saying the truth, for taking the truth. Now, when you are a peacemaker, you begin to confront are own people. So when I started 1994, as I mentioned, I was teaching about forgiveness and reconciliation and none of the two tribes was willing to talk about those things. So I was called a traitor. To my own tribe, but the other tribe was saying, You know, you should be talking about revenge. So I was beaten up by my own tribe in the yeah. G camps. I was put in torture room by the other tribe because I should be speaking about uh, justice, revenge, and mm. I was accusing them that they have also been killing. And so, uh, but I preach that uh, it doesn't matter whether you killed one person, 100 people, to God, you are all mother. Secondly, um when you're a peacemaker you have no you don't belong to a group but in our community everybody expects you to belong Mm. and so when you don't belong to a group your own family your own friends your own relatives your own tribesmen will not appreciate you so you belong to nowhere you are in the middle Mm. and so during the early age i was tortured by above i was hated by above. I was not accepted by above. In fact, my own children, when we were living in Nairobi then, um, my children were, I was told that my children would be killed and so forth for mm-hmm. three months. Uh, the Kenya government puts uh, police on the bus, uh, school bus. But I was also put in torture rooms. But those days, I am glad they happened. Now, when you begin to be a peacemaker, by the way, uh, you begin to be on a different track but that's the best you can be because always historically, when you see people have changed, they end up uh, they either start if they were not killed in, in the stages. Mm-hmm. Even when they are killed, actually they are not killed; they their story continue on. So, mm-hmm. yes. I mean, think about uh, Bonhoeffer, think yes. about uh, Martin Luther King, think about those. Uh, people, um, uh, Romeo, um, uh, Oscar Romeo, the yes. um, uh, the bishop in mm. uh, South America. Mm-hmm. And think about the the Gandhi, the people who are on the path of peace building. Even when they are killed, sometimes their death brings peace. Mm. Uh, and so, anyway, so yeah, if you involved in this confrontation of the ugly of humanity, we begin to uh, tell people to love their neighbors. Uh, it's another. It's not a new thing. I I believe that's why Jesus was killed.
1: Right. Mm. And and I think for you, because they watched you live it out, you weren't just teaching something. You're not just teaching something. You're living it as part of your being. And that builds trust with everyone so that you have a voice. But it takes time because it requires such authenticity and integrity.
4: Um, Yeah. You know, I don't wish people to experience things that I experienced. Mm. Mm. But um sometimes many times the Lord um, does something in our lives so that we get to understand better but also I mean we talked about the the tragedy and um, I say that sometimes many times God used the strategy I mean the, the tragedy to bring up strategies mm-hmm. and, and so uh, but that takes a Christian maturity to realize that this is not the end we talked about the hope yeah. is that even what happened to my family even what happened to me today is not the end god is a god of redemption god redeems our experiences our ugly past mm-hmm. when we put our our faith in him and we just surrender to him he uses our ugly past uh, to make us better people to make us ministers because through our pain i think the corinthians portray the corinthians that they comfort they receive from christ they will use the same comfort to comfort others yeah mm. and so that's, that's how then we christians we say okay he's calling me to do this in his power i will do then i will trust him with my pain and then redeem my pain mm-hmm. to bring hope and maybe to avoid uh, people from doing the same thing because i can share the experience so that's what i do um uh, and and that's what our staff i'm not the only one um uh, Majority uh, for our staff in the eight countries, they have experienced the same thing. So I'm yeah. not unique in mm-hmm. having lost my members and then be called in the ministry. And so sometimes it's the pain that God uses to call you into what he wants you to do. Mm-hmm.
0: You said um, when Maren asked the question, you, your, your response was, think about who you were writing as. Are you writing, mm-hmm. or are you speaking as a Democrat, Republican, Christian? And I think, at least I wonder and I wonder if you guys wonder the same thing that what if the other, what if we say we decide, okay, I'm going to speak as a Christian and speak what I think is true based in biblical, what I have interpreted as biblical truths. But the person that I'm speaking to is also speaking as what they would consider a Christian speaking in biblical truths. And those things just collide and everything then splinters and divides. Mm -hmm. And Mm. there's so much division, even if we're not talking about, like racism, which is what a lot of what I think we're talking about, uh, in, during hope month, there's division within the church and we're all trying to say, yeah, but this is more Christian or I am, I'm trying to speak yeah. to you as a Christian authority on something, mm-hmm. but the other person's thinking that they're doing the same thing. Everyone
3: so, is right in their own eyes.
0: Okay. So, um, I'm I'm sure this is not the the yeah. first time that's been asked of you, but what what is your perception of that or interpretation of that, and how do you find reconciliation when mm. even we when even the the claim of being a Christian is the highest level of like authority and mm. uh, is there's so much division in how we interpret that?
4: Um, yeah, that's so true. But um, again, if I think of as Christians, then we come to the. Uh, to this reality now, Paul says, uh, he writes to Christians, say those who are mature should treat this immature. So we may be all Christians, but are we all mature enough mm. to understand the situation? Now, the burden is actually on those who are mature.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm.
4: Uh, and so when you find yourself in a situation for uh, that you described, that everyone say, I'm a Christian also, I believe this, you're a Christian. Then ask a question, now maybe... Maybe I am immature. Maybe I'm mature. So if I am mature, then what is your role? Hmm. I think the biggest challenge is we always want to win. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so we have not learned because, we, again, we grow in the culture of justice. You win. But, you know, you win by losing many times. Hmm. Hmm. So I want my friend. I don't want to win the argument because the key is relationship is not winning. Is not being right maybe I would give up my right to be right and surrender my whatever winning I was trying to win and submit myself to this weaker believer and maybe be the more relationship based on our humanity not by on this argument and say so, you know hey we may not agree on that but you know I love you I mm-hmm. care about you because God loves both of us we are human and maybe when I begin to move to that level of not winning or not being the, the, having the upper hand and begin to say, okay, I surrender my right to be right and begin to treat them with dignity and maybe let alone they will listen. Maybe we will meet in a place where we are discussing not from the basis of winning, but maybe understanding.
3: And have them over for yeah. dinner, yes. and experience some swallowship.
4: Swallowship, yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, 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 I think that's really one of the uh, mm. one of the approaches. Mm. Is uh, if I am mature enough, am I willing to just not argue for the argument? Am I willing to give up so that I win? Uh, give up winning the argument so I can win a relationship? Then through that relationship, then can we visit those questions? Let alone as people trust each other as friends. Mm. And uh, the other approach is uh, maybe to take a journey together because sometimes uh, we, have, we may be all be Christians, but we have not been exposed to real life together. Maybe say, hey, let's take a journey together. Let's visit this uh, neighborhood. Let's visit the broken uh, community. Let's go to jail together. Let's go to, to Rwanda together. Let's go to South Africa together. Let's meet the So you make that journey together, then you begin to discover together, and then you see it. What did you see?
3: I love that. Yeah. Mm.
4: And so it is the life experience because most of the argument is based on just what you had other people saying. Mm. You never met the people. You never put yourself in their shoes. Mm -hmm. Uh, You never, you have never eaten with them. Mm. So you don't sympathize with them because you actually don't know who they are. Yeah, And And that's the beauty of the work
1: that Alarm does in, in these countries that they bring together a variety of denominations Mm -hmm. from a variety of different backgrounds, we, we come together for conferences, we eat together, they sleep together, we wrestle through big theological questions together, Mm. and we learn to move forward in together in unity. So yeah. I you know the first time we yeah. did the women's leadership training, we be, they began with a song that said um, we were once strangers but under the blood of Christ we're one. Mm. And over the course of weeks together, sharing sorrow and 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 all of these beautiful painful places, we became one and it no longer mattered You know, we had a big debate on when was Sabbath? Is it, Mm. you know, is it Sunday or is it Saturday? And and what is God's heart behind that and to be able to move forward together? And I I think we could take that, the same model you're using in Africa to the church here in the U.S. because we don't eat together. We don't have conversations together. We divide based on these nuances of what we think is right as opposed to moving together while... Um, the rest of the world is just saying, y'all are crazy. Like,
4: yeah,
3: mm-hmm. yeah. that like, would make us get so together. different. Yeah,
1: that would make us really as, stand out. As Christians. And so,
4: You know, as- self-sufficiency is a curse. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. So- Ooh, put that <laughs> on a t-shirt. That's a good...
1: <laughs> it is, because, yeah, I mean, I yeah, think...
4: Because yeah, because I'm self-sufficient. I don't need you. Yep. Right. I don't need to sit with you. I have all what I need. That's what I see in most of the churches here. But poverty and uh, lack of resources force forces people to sit together and when they sit together they begin to realize that oh what we have in common is more important than those things that divide us Mm -hmm. and then because you sit together you are being trained together you are learning together then you begin to give up those uh, prejudices whether denominational we are better than you then you begin to oh they are also saved they don't speak in tongues but they are saved oh, they don't wear this, uh, they are safe. They don't speak this way, they are safe. So you begin to realize that these are my brothers and my sisters. And then you give up something mm. for a bigger thing. Mm. And those, so, but uh, yeah, p- part of being self-sufficient is a curse because you are not brought together by the needs to sit together with those who are different from you. Yeah. And so and so, sometimes, I mean, I don't want us to go into being in poverty, but at the same time, I don't want to be rich so that we don't need each other. Yeah.
3: I'm thinking of the verse in 1st Peter that tells us above all love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Mm-hmm. It's acknowledging that there will be sins, a multitude of them. Mm-hmm. That we we're, we're not I'm not eradicating the sin of of my neighbor, but but love will cover over that. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm sitting at my computer and I'm looking at the multitude of sins that are making me so angry. Is what I'm about to type going to be love that covers over that sin, or is it going to be you know fuel to just add to the fire and make the devil laugh a little louder?
4: Yeah, in fact, one of the principles we teach people in this process of peace building is you know Psalm. I mean, the Proverbs and Psalms. That in Proverbs that we say, you know, a foolish person follows every. Sin or every mistake or every offense, but a righteous one ignores Mm. some offenses. You know, there are some offenses that are not worth to pursue. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that -hmm. that we overcome. So the Bible doesn't say we cover the the sins of, you know, terrible sins, Mm -hmm. but the Bible says, no, not every offense is to be pursued. Mm. Because if you do that, then you have no one around. Right, and so it's grace again. So, so we grace, but also the 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 the, the covering of the sin means not immediately run to punish, but sit with the people. And that's where maturity grow comes when we help people to deal with their past. We expect people to change when they become a Christian the next day. Mm. Yeah, no, you can A baby is not born and run the next day, maybe an American baby, but,
2: but, <laughs> but no, <Nope>, uh, <laughs> I can
4: confirm that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So but as people come to Christ, we we live in a community, even when we are believers, we are still sinners. We are not sentient. We we are growing. We we are growing. We hope by God's grace we are going to abandon our old self. But we don't abandon old self the next day. So the the Christian then need to mentor each other as mm. they grow mm. and bear with so you say bear one another
1: mm-hmm.
4: you don't bear if there's no problem mm. so the bible says you bear each other because mm-hmm. there's already something to bear there's already
3: right. something there yeah <laughs> so
4: that's the that's the context of you know hey, uh, love covers a matter of sin because you are bearing you are helping somebody to correct themselves you are not casting them out you are not excluding them from the family but you are helping them to grow to be again mature that's what I mm-hmm. talked about you know, Discipleship, they are becoming immature every day, they are growing to be like Christ. So, you don't grow like Christ in our day. I mean, I have been a Christian for over 30 years, I have not arrived yet. Mm-hmm. I'm still praying, Lord, I want to be like you. Mm-hmm. I pray every day, Lord, my wife and the machine know that I don't, I'm not like you, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, but every day, my desire is to be like Christ. And uh, am I that's my even my desire to do that? Desire alone doesn't. You know, make it happen. But you know, my wife, my kids, my friends—they say, "Listen, you are limping on this side." Mm. They're making me to to walk straight. Mm. Yeah,
1: I think the church has got it right in terms of um, knowing that we're formed in community. Where we've gotten it wrong is that all of our communities are so similar and so we don't get the opportunity to be formed by people who are different than us Mm -hmm. because we've Mm -hmm. grouped up by based on people who what they believe and how they look and where they live and i think god's intention was always for this diverse community to get close enough and to stay at the table so that we can have um disagreements in order to see more of the fullness of god Mm -hmm. but we don't do that. Yeah. We step we scoot yeah. away once you're different than I am versus moving toward and saying mm-hmm. tell me more about
3: that. Yeah. And too mm-hmm. many times we that. hear the phrase stay at the table and it's like so figurative. Yeah. Yeah. But he's saying literally like, get stay at the table.
0: So how can uh how can people who are listening listening to this either learn more about alarm or support alarm? How can how can we help people of Grace Church get in this? With with you and with Corrine and, and Grace Church,
4: um, thank you very much. Uh, we are we are already grateful for the support that um, the Grace Church and the leadership has provided. Um, the the partnership with the uh, Grace, the women of Grace, and the project that have been supported by um, Grace Church. Uh, really, we would like to pray, ask the um, friends and members of the congregation to to pray fast, how do we strengthen our community here? Mm. And because uh, when this community is built and strong church here, then there's more strength to bring to alarm. So first I pray that uh, those who are listening, they internalize or they live out their Christian faith here. Mm. And then once this uh, community is strong, then uh, we will have uh, uh support financial support we mm-hmm. of course we need financial support i uh, just talked about the mm-hmm. our staff and partners and pastors we are training especially in the forgotten regions like sudan where mm-hmm. the muslims are majority we just talked about the zanzibar where Christians mm-hmm. pastors have no theological education we need resources to train them we need the funding to help the the widows and the orphan the victim of genocide they are talking to Corinne area alone about the women who have been raped and who are in the refugee camps in the northern Uganda who are from South Sudan and the pastors are calling us to help them. Mm. And so we will really encourage the financial support and uh, prayer that we remain faithful. Uh, our staff in those countries, they are serving when there's war. Conflict In any of the countries, most of the international organizations, their staff, they are evacuated, they leave. Mm. Uh, Our staff are nationals. They stay there Mm. even during the crisis. That's what makes our ministry unique because we are African-led, African-driven organization. But they are supported. When they stay there, they are supported because our friends in the U.S. are able to give them food. They are able to support them with their Mm. financial support. So they are not left alone even though physically they're alone but our friends uh, who send funds uh our staff will remain there they feed their children they uh they can send their children to school they can have time to get out um for us to help them with the uh, trauma so like mm. the staff in congo they needed to get out for trauma healing and in june last year we had all staff from south sudan to go to rwanda for for trauma healing, for uh, rest. And and then they went back uh, there. So really financial support and the prayer support, but we want to see more teams uh, of uh, trained mm. pastors here, yeah, men and women, uh, lawyers, and um, who can be involved in this ministry, share the gospel, share the hope, mm. and work with our staff on the ground. So I hope to see more women groups and, and men's group and the youth, to come and help us uh, and ho- uh, work with our staff. Our goal is not to we don't consider our partner church in America like uh, ATM machine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, we want yeah. you to come because we know you will be changed. Wow, mm-hmm. and uh, and okay. uh, work together. Let's let's take the journey together so that we transform each other. So so that's my prayer that uh, we transform each other. And finally, I will say that uh, I think the support we need is when we see the church here beginning to embody. Forgiveness and racial reconciliation, and the love and care—I think the church globally will be strong. Thank mm-hmm.
0: you, Celestin Korean. Thanks for joining us today. I I, I could do this all day. I, I've got a million questions for you. But if mm-hmm. if you are listening to this and you've got more questions or want to want to hear more, we're going to post uh, Barry's whole conversation uh, with Celestin on our website. So check GraceChurch.us for that. For, uh, for a link to that. But thank you so much for being here today. It was and, uh, really important
4: conversation. Thank you. I will add that uh, maybe people want to go to Alarm website. Yeah. Uh, what's the website? Yeah. The alarm-inc.org. Okay. And uh, they can uh, just visit and see and ask questions. Or um, I Those who are interested in the forgiveness, I co-authored a book with uh, Dr. Gregory Jones at Divinity School. Uh, at the Center for Reconciliation, they can find the book on Amazon, Forgiving mm. As Who Have Been Forgiven. Okay. And they can send me an email if they have questions, personal yeah. questions. So okay. uh, we will we will yeah. love to get them and thank and, you and partner. Yeah.
2: So alarm mm-hmm. dash yes. Got it. it.
0: Yep. All right. Thanks everybody. Maren, will you please do us the honor and send us out?
3: I will. Do justly love mercy and walk humbly with your God.
0: And we'll see you on the other side of Sunday.